Welcome to Faith Seeking Understanding, a place dedicated to the discussion of Christian faith in 21st century life. C.S. Lewis said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. So join us as we endeavor to understand 21st century life through the lens of Christian faith. I'm your host, Alan Bevere, pastor, professor, author, and lover of Five Alarm Food. Come and seek with me. Thank you to Daniel for your music this morning. We appreciate uh, your many talents. Thank you so much. The gospel reading for the past few weeks has been in John chapter 6, beginning with Jesus feeding the 5,000, leading to an extended discussion uh, of Jesus being the bread of life. And uh, in today's lesson, uh, he emphasizes his connection as the bread of life. uh, And as we will see in next week's lesson, uh, that, that is not received well. Uh, but things are, are sort of ramping up in how Jesus is pointing to himself uh, in this teaching. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Then the Jews debated among themselves, asking, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, I assure you, unless you eat the flesh of the human one and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. My flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. As a living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me lives because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. It isn't like the bread your ancestors ate, and then they died. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This is the gospel of our Lord. Please be seated. Let us pray. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our God, our wisdom, our salvation. Amen. I'm sure a lot of us, uh, at one point or another in our lives, you know, have been traveling, perhaps in the Blue Ridge Mountains or the Rocky Mountains or somewhere, and you're driving down the freeway, the highway, and you see a sign that says, Scenic Overlook, one mile. And you stop. Have you ever stopped at a Scenic Overlook? It's amazing. Here you've been driving for a long time, and you just see freeway in front of you, and cars either passing you or you passing them. And then all of a sudden you stop, and you're given a bigger picture of the country you are in, in the area that you are in. I remember maybe six years ago or so, Carol and I were in the Blue Ridge Mountains, and we were off on some road. I'm not sure we should have called it a road, but we could drive on it. 
And all of a sudden, we came up on this spot, a scenic overlook. And so we got out, and oh my gosh, here we were in the Blue Ridge Mountains, looking down into a valley. There was this little cabin down there. It was just scenic. It could have been a, 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 a photo, like a, a postcard. And it was just gorgeous country. And what made it even more attractive was that somebody down in the valley there was barbecuing. <laughs> and we could smell it, right? Unfortunately, there was no path down there. But I mean, you know, a scenic landscape and the smell of good food, I mean, you can't beat it, can you? We get a larger picture of our context. I don't know how many of you watched the Field of Dreams baseball game Thursday night. Of course, for those of you who have seen the movie Field of Dreams, if you haven't seen it, you haven't seen one of the best movies ever made. And not only is it one of the best movies ever made because of the, because of the script, it's one of the best movies ever made because it's about one of the best sports ever invented, baseball. <laughs> Carol and I have a running disagreement that's been going on for years. I say baseball's the best sport ever invented. She says basketball's the best sport ever invented. We will not solve that disagreement, and that, I suppose, is okay. But for those of us who watched that movie years ago and have watched it several times, there's something about those of us who grew up playing baseball. And I think maybe some of it has to do with the fact that some of us grew up playing catch with our dads, as I did. So there was something about baseball that seemed to be more than just a sport, right? So when I watched that movie, I understood. I understood the larger picture of baseball. And at the end of the movie, James Earl Jones gives that rousing speech on baseball. It's a little idealistic, yes. But I understood that. And it's interesting, over the years, I've talked to a handful of people who watched the movie but who are not, didn't play baseball, weren't baseball fans, who said to me, I didn't get that movie at all. That's okay. You know, not everybody's into baseball, so I get it. But when I watched that Field of Dreams game and watched the players come out of the cornfield, if you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about, the players coming out of the cornfield. It was, wow. Because even though baseball is just a game, for some of us, it's something bigger. It's about relationships with our fathers, or it's about going to games as kids with our families. It's about parents and grandparents coming to our little league games when we played. So there's something bigger about it. There's a larger vision, even though it's just a game. In our gospel reading, Jesus is challenging us to have a larger vision of who he is 
and what it is he is doing in his ministry and will do in his death and resurrection. We've been reading from John chapter 6 these last few weeks. Now, I haven't preached on the gospel text in a few weeks. I've done either the Old Testament or the epistle readings. But the context of the story is the feeding of the 5,000. Now, one of the things I've said about John's gospel is John's gospel, it's like there's two stories being told at the same time, two narratives. There's the surface narrative of what's happening, and then below the surface, there's something deeper going on. There's something larger happening in the midst of the ordinary events. We see this in chapter 3 of John's Gospel when Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night and uh, he comes to him to speak to him. He says, we know that you know, you're from God because nobody can teach what you teach and not be from God. And Jesus says to him, you must be born again or you must be born from above. Jesus is trying to communicate something deeper to Nicodemus, but all Nicodemus can think it's now, how is it possible for a grown guy to go over and go back and be born all over again? And then in chapter 4, you get the story of the Samaritan woman at the well, and she's there talking to Jesus at Jacob's well, and, and Jesus tells her that uh, he talks about living water, and that whoever drinks this water will live forever, and this woman who is thinking, she's thinking, well, where can I find this living water? Because I'm tired of coming to this well every day. And so there's more going on in John's gospel. And so we get it here in chapter 6. Jesus feeds the crowd of 5,000 people from just small bits of food, loaves and fish. And that leads to this extended discussion. Jesus now wants to invite the people to have a larger vision. And so he says things that for most people make no sense. If you're thinking just on the surface, I'm the living bread. Whoever eats this bread will never die. My flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Now, if somebody came walking in off the street who had never been in a church, who knew very little about the Christian faith, and that population is growing more and more in our culture, and they would hear this, about the, Jesus telling about his flesh and his blood, I would dare say they'd scratch their heads. Jesus is inviting the people into something larger, a larger vision. You know, sometimes isn't it true that it can be difficult to have a larger vision. Not because we, we don't have, we're not capable of it, but, but because we get so, well, 
we get stuck in the midst of the routine of life. We get into the responsibilities and everything that we need to do and everything that is happening and we just frankly don't have time to look over the landscape and see that something larger is going on, that even in this time God is working. Maybe it's even harder in this time over the past year, year and a half. I mean, we've been through COVID, we're not through COVID yet. Sometimes it seems of late that our world is, is in a lot of turmoil that maybe it hasn't been in a long time. You got wildfires out in, in the Pacific Northwest. Greece has had a forest fire. They never have them. We had a terrible earthquake in Haiti. We've got a polarized society and, in fact, probably a polarized world that probably for some of us we can't remember when it was that bad. And so sometimes, even in the midst of, in the midst of these difficult times, it can be tough maybe to even think that there's something beyond the horizon, that there's something more, and that even something God is doing, that we, we say like the psalmist says, how long, O oh Lord? <laughs> how long? And yet the one thing that is true, when you read the Old Testament, the most visionary people in the Old Testament were the prophets. Who not only told the truth about the current circumstances, even when others, even when the people didn't want to hear it, but they also talked about hope. They talked about God was doing something. God is going to do something. In other words, the most visionary people in the Old Testament were the people whose ministries were carried out in the most difficult of times. When everybody else was tempting to give up or when everybody else didn't want to really trust in God and trust in themselves and what their, their own ways and what they thought, here come the prophets to say in the midst of impending tragedy and difficulty, God is with us. There is more. God is doing a new thing. So hang in there. One of the greatest Christian virtues I continue to say and will continue to say is hope. And we have hope. Because we believe the tomb is empty and that means God is active in doing something in our midst and that God hasn't given up on us. And sometimes, I, the way I, have to, I have to confess with the way I hear some Christians, the, 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 the way they talk so pessimistically and negatively, I just wonder if they understand that the tomb is empty. And you see, it's precisely that hope that doesn't cause us to dismiss the problems it puts the problems in another context. Because one of the things, when we talk about John's Gospel, when we talk about these two narratives, the surface story and this deeper story, the one thing we must never do is so define spirituality 
is that it's something above and beyond the physical of the everyday. So when Jesus is talking about being the bread of life and eating his flesh and drinking his blood and he's trying to help them to, to have a vision above the current moment, that doesn't mean he rejects the importance of feeding people because he fed them. So we must, never, we must never use the spirituality of the gospel as a way to ignore the serious, real needs in our world. It's the context of hope that puts things in a new context, a context where we know that God is with us, and that God cares for us. And that in Jesus Christ, God has given us his very presence. Interesting, isn't that interesting? God doesn't reject the importance of this world and the physical because God actually showed up in a body in some mysterious way we can't understand, but in some way God enfleshed himself in Jesus because this matters. I wonder, as we the church, in these challenging times, and by the way, let me say one other thing. We are in challenging times, but it would be wrong for us to sing, nobody knows the trouble we've seen. We somehow tend to think that no one has had it worse than our generation. Oh, let's go back to the good old days. Right? Well, the good old days, they, they had some good stuff, but eh, they weren't that good either necessarily all the time. And in fact, it's interesting if you go back a hundred years and you read some of the letters and some of the things that certain writers say, they too are longing for the good old days. So the good old days were good. Yeah, they, they, they had their good moments, but... It's pretty hard to argue that, that our country is more divided now than it was during the Civil War, isn't it? It's pretty hard to argue that COVID is the worst thing that we've ever seen when there was that pandemic back in 1918. Oh, and then let's not forget the Black Plague uh, in, in Europe. So sometimes we tend to focus on the, the challenges now, and they are challenges to be sure, but we tend to focus on them as if, boy, the times are, they have come. And by the way, beware, beware, beware of the end times weather forecasters who are certain that everything that's happening right now means Jesus is coming back tomorrow. He may come back tomorrow. But he isn't asking our permission. I'm content to allow God to bring human history to its fulfillment in God's good time. In the meantime, whether Jesus comes back tomorrow 
or after our lifetime, I know that we as the church of Jesus Christ in all times and in all places and in all circumstances, we are a beacon of hope for the world. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. I remember many years ago driving through New Mexico and it was late at night and I found out for the first time that during the day the desert is hot and at night it's really cold. But I remember it must have been two in the morning coming upon um, what's the capital of New Albuquerque. Gosh, I don't know how that happened. Albuquerque, New Mexico, and it was just lit up because there was nothing around and it was just something to see. Jesus says, you're a city set on a hill. You, can we know how dangerous it was in Jesus' day to be down in a dark valley alone and then to come upon a shining city because that city said hope, safety, security, life and that's who we are so friends I don't know what the future holds I don't know what this COVID situation is going to do over the next several months or years but I know this the God who raised Jesus from the dead is still in charge, is still working, still moving, and by the way, has plans for us. So let's be people of hope. Let's not be chicken little Christians. Because the world has plenty of chicken littles. We don't need any more. Faith, hope, and love abide, these three, Paul says. But the greatest of these is love. Do you know what love does? It instills hope. Let us pray. Gracious God, we are so grateful for your presence with us. It is, it is at times we want to ask how long, O oh Lord. Fair enough. Help us in these challenging times, not to ignore the challenges, not to ignore the difficulties, to embrace the suffering of the world, because that's what the church is. It's a suffering presence. We, the church, because we have this message of hope, run to the suffering. We don't avoid it. But help us to be that beacon of hope so that those who perhaps have given up hope may find it through us. Help us to be a people with a larger vision, a vision to be able to see what you are doing in these moments. In Jesus' name, amen.
down my vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me, save that Thou art. Please be seated. 